Let me extend my own welcome to you. Thank you so much for being part of our worship today. And we hope for a few moments you can just settle in and breathe. And and all the things that have happened this last week, you can just set aside and be in this moment. All the things that have to be done this next week, just take a deep breath and relax. And in this moment, be aware of God's presence and, and the people around you. Who love you so dearly this is the last week and by the way it's so nice to be able to turn to my right and point to that this is the last week of our summer series serve it up and thank you so much for being a part of it we'll be looking in just a few moments at the very last paragraph in the book of acts but let me do an advertisement for what's coming up next sunday morning we begin a series titled we believe and then on wednesday evenings beginning on the 16th we're going to focus on a series that talks about Baptist distinctives. So think of it this way. I often get asked questions like, well, what's, what's the core of Christianity? And, and, and what's the part where I don't give on? And what's the part where it should be some flexibility? And, and we're not quite sure what that means. And so think of it this way. On the Sunday morning series, we're going to look at the big picture. This is the core of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And we're going to look at very specifically, we're going to use the Apostles' Creed as a guide. Even though we are not creedal people, we're going to use that as a lens to guide us through some of our scripture passages as we are asking, what do we have in common with all of our brothers and sisters around the world? And then on Wednesday evenings, through a series of discussions and panel discussions and speakers, we're going to look at those Baptist distinctives, what have made Baptists so unique, which will also give us some opportunities for discussion And we invite you to be a part of both of those. So let's return to the book of Acts. In particular, the last half of the book of Acts is focusing on the travel and the events that take place in one person's life, the Apostle Paul, and traveling from city to city and place to place and often jail to jail. But let me remind you of one of the things that he wrote, Romans chapter 8, a passage that many of you know well. But for the ones who are loving God, which by the way is kind of a continuous action verb, for the ones who are loving God, We know that God works all things for good for those who are called in accordance with God's plan. He writes that, we think, during his third missionary journey when he's back in Corinth, but let those words kind of sink in. Does that mean he hasn't had trouble? No, we've already looked at some of those passages. Does that mean it's always gone the way he thought it would go? No, not at all. Keep this passage in the back of your mind as we move forward this morning and look at the final chapters in the book of Acts. Now, this is one of the things I've discovered about the book of Acts. It's a long book. It's a long book for us. And and we often will preach or teach from the first opening chapters, usually about the first seven or eight chapters, and then we kind of move on to something else. It is a very, very exciting book. There's a lot of scholarly work that's been done on the book of Acts that's compared it to first century novels and asking, did Luke intentionally write it this way to pull people in before they had cable and all these options to watch movies? It is a very, very exciting uh, book to read, especially when you think about how little people traveled at that time, how few people had the opportunity to travel And yet here Paul is on the road all the time. So let me back up just a little bit. On one of his journeys, Paul goes back to Jerusalem. You can go back and read those those final chapters. He goes back to Jerusalem. 
And he is meeting with the leaders of the Jerusalem church. And they say to him, we've got a PR problem. There are a lot of people who don't trust you. And there are a lot of people who aren't sure what you're really doing. And there are a lot of people who feel like you've given up on what it means to be Jewish. So this is what we need to do. Would you consider, let's go to the temple area together. And you're going to take, along with your companions, this vow, this, this promise. You're going to rededicate yourselves. And by the way, it's not just words that have to happen. They're going to shave their heads. God bless them all in this procedure. Yeah. And, uh, and, and you're going to take your companions. And we're just going to demonstrate that, that you're not against this, but, but you're just saying God has called you to the Gentiles as well, that the gospel is for everyone and it sounds like a reasonable plan and so Paul agrees to do that and while they are there some opponents stir up trouble and they falsely even start spreading this rumor and shouting it according to the book of Acts that he has it, not only is he saying bad things about the temple but he also has brought Gentiles into the temple area and a riot begins. Not sure if he's going to make it out. Soldiers are called in. Uh, there's even this wonderful conversation between one of the soldiers and Paul where the soldier goes, oh, aren't you the rebel from? He goes, no, that's not who I am. I'm not a troublemaker at all. Would you give me a chance just to talk to them? And he gives them a chance to talk to the crowd to try to calm them down. And he's doing a great job. He goes through the story, the life of Jesus and his death and his resurrection. And then he comes to the part where he says, and God has called me to take the good news to the Gentiles. And it just all falls apart again. And so they pull Paul out and they place him under arrest. And the leader comes up uh, and says to him, um, we've got to work this out, okay? This sounds like an internal problem. And in between times, there are some opponents, some Jewish opponents, a little over 40 of them get together and they make a promise. They take a vow together. We will not eat or drink until this guy is dead. Told you it's a very exciting book. We don't teach this part in Vacation Bible School. And so uh, they begin this assassination plot on how they're going to take Paul out. And there's a kid who overhears it. We don't know his name. It's Paul's nephew. We don't know Paul's sister's name. But Luke tells us it's his nephew and he comes to Paul and he tells him what's going to happen. And Paul calls one of the soldiers and said, tell him what you told me. And so they, and so they uh, with a large battalion, they take Paul and, and they, uh, they take him to another city. They take him to governor and his name is Felix. And they start having conversations together. And Felix will pull Paul out of prison and interview him and will talk to him. And they'll talk about the prophets and they'll talk about scripture and Paul will talk about Jesus to him. And, and Luke tells us that Governor Felix is a little frightened when he starts talking about things like justice and God's view of judgment. And what he really wants from Paul is a bribe. And so he leaves them there. 
the one who wrote, but for the ones who are loving God, we know God works all things for good for those who are called in accordance with his plan. And he leaves him there for two years in prison. Two years. His name was William Osler. He was a pioneer physician in American medicine. He was one of the four founding physicians of Johns Hopkins Hospital. He was making a trip from Europe back to the United States, and the ship was involved in an accident. It hit another ship, and when that happened, there was a lot of panic, and the passengers were frightened, and the crew was working hard to calm them down and saying things like, we have it under control, it's going to be okay, and they discovered why, because the way the ship was designed, the way many ships are designed today, is compartmentalized, and they could shut off the parts of the ship that were being flooded by water, and it would stay afloat, and as he is there on the ship, he starts thinking about this. And he wrote an essay that's become very famous. It's called A Way of Life. Thinking about how that ship did not sink because of how they can compartmentalize tragedies or emergencies or things that were happening in the moment. And so he used that idea to propose a way of life that he called living life in daytight compartments, daytight being hyphenated, living life in daytight compartments. And this was his idea, that he saw a lot of patients who were so worried about the future that they could not focus on today. They were so scarred by the past, either by the pain of that past or by the guilt of that past, that they could not focus and enjoy the day and be in the moment, much less have any kind of plan for the future. Wayne Oates, who was a Baptist leader and a, a pioneer in terms of uh, pastoral care, talks about, is, isn't that really the challenge that we have? How do we, when we're following God, understand I'm part of a big picture. I'm part of something much bigger than what's just happening in my life or, or what I'm experiencing right now in the moment. But at the same time, I can't just be thinking about the future. How do I focus on today? How, right now, even in this moment, how many of us are thinking about next week or next month or all the things that have to happen? How do we learn how to live in these day-tight compartments. And how does the Apostle Paul and the church that day, remember that, that several weeks ago, and the church spoke to the Holy Spirit and said, pull out Paul and Barnabas and, and lay your hands on them and commission them. I have a work for them to do and send them out. And there he is in jail. One day, one week, one month, six months, 12 months, 18 months, and the clock just keeps ticking, and the clock just keeps ticking. And for the ones who are loving God, we know that God works all things for good for those who are called in accordance with God's plans. Well, Felix is succeeded by another governor, another group, governor, uh, another ruler whose name is Festus. And uh, the leaders, the, those who have opposed Paul, have not forgotten. 
And so they come to this new leader and they go, look, you've got this guy in jail and we brought him here on charges and he's a real troublemaker and uh, you really ought to just hand him over to us and let us, we, there's some justice that needs to be done and you can trust us, we'll take care of it and we'll do the right thing. And so, and so now we have a new ruler and so he calls and uh, Festus brings Paul up and gets a cu another couple of people involved and, and he says, uh, thinking about sending you back to Jerusalem so that you can stand trial for what happened in Jerusalem. And Paul knows it doesn't go well for me in Jerusalem. <laughs> this is not going. And so um, he goes, no, no, I'm a Roman citizen. I appeal to Caesar. And Festus goes, to Caesar you have appealed? To Caesar you will go. Which begins another very, very exciting uh, section in the book of Acts about their sea journey, about their travel by sea. Uh, the Jews are not seafaring people. They left that to the Egyptians to the south and the Phoenicians to the north, and the Greeks were never happier than they were bopping around from one island to the other. But that's not a big thing for the Jews to do. And Jew, uh, uh, Paul had quite an unusual passport when you look at how much traveling he had done. Even when he writes one letter, which we call 2 Corinthians, he talks about being shipwrecked not once, not twice, but three times. One time saying, I spent an entire day and a night adrift, hanging on, wondering what's going to happen. Am I going to make it a day and a night adrift in the sea? He knows there are dangers in this journey, and yet there he is. For the ones who are loving God, we know that God works all things for good. And so Luke gives us a very exciting travel narrative that also involves another shipwreck, wondering if they're going to make it to shore. And he does something very interesting at the end of chapter 27 and the beginning of chapter 28. And if you haven't looked, there are only 28 chapters in the, in the book of Acts. So it's getting close to the end. And he's bringing us to the end of this journey. And he starts working in an interesting word. So there's a Greek verb. Uh, it's just, if you transliterate it into English, it's just four letters. Sozo. We would spell it in English S-O-Z-O. Sozo. And it's a word that has a variety of meanings, and it means uh, to be saved, which is sometimes used in that religious context or spiritual context. It means to be made whole. It means to be restored. It means to be healed. It means to be delivered. It means to be preserved. It can mean to be, be ransomed and set free. It's got this whole context of meaning. And there are not just verbs. There are also some nouns and some adjectives. And they're all built on this one little core of sozo. And as you're getting to the very end, he just starts piling up uses of this word as he describes their shipwreck. For example, he'll say, we all gave up hope of being saved. And unless, they, unless these people stay in the boat, the Roman soldier, by the way, wants to kill every, all, the, all the prisoners, wants to kill them all. Unless these people stay in the boat, you can't be saved, Paul will tell them. No, it's time to take some food, speaking to, speaking to all the passengers, and this will be for your salvation. The centurion wanted to save Paul. After swimming to shore on bits and pieces of the ship that was left, they were all utterly saved. Chapter 28, verse 1, they were all saved. Chapter 28, verse 4, they had all been saved from the sea. 
And you start to get the picture that Luke is painting something bigger that's going on. You start thinking about the previous stories and the events in Paul's life, the life of the early church. And as a reader of Scripture, you start thinking about your own life. When were you ready to give up? When did you feel like God had forgotten about you? When did you wonder, how am I going to make it through this change? When did you wonder about the diagnosis? When did you wonder about the crisis within your family? And, 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 when, and, and always there's this hope of being delivered. Always there's this hope of being preserved. Always there's this hope of being saved. Always just before it's over. And the mission of the church laid out over and over again in the book of Acts is that God sends us to places. God sends us to places which again and again is the place where other powers are at work. And when God sends us to places, and it's in the life of Paul, it may be Thessalonica, it may be Berea, it may be Corinth, it, it may be on his way to Rome because he has appealed to Caesar. There's the opportunity to announce into a body the power of Jesus. Darkness into light. Here's your quote for the day. The power of love always challenges the love of power. The power of love always challenges the love of power. And we see this as we come to a close in the book of Acts. After this long, harrowing sea journey where they have to stop at the island of Malta where they barely make it, we finally arrive and Paul is under house arrest in Rome awaiting for his audience with Caesar. And he sends for leaders from the Jewish community and from the synagogues and they say, we haven't heard anything about you. And so he lays out to them all that has happened to him and the story of what God is now doing in the life of Jesus. And we end with these words from the book of Acts. After they had set a day to meet with him, with Paul, they came to him at his lodgings in great, in great numbers. From morning until evening, he explained the matter to them testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he had said, while others refused to believe. So they disagreed with each other. And as they were leaving, Paul made one further statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your ancestors through the prophet Isaiah, and now quotation from Isaiah, go to the people and say, you will indeed listen, but never understand. And you will indeed look, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might look with their eyes and listen with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them, save them. Let it be known to you then that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And that's the end of the book of Acts. After 28 chapters, 
Not days, not months, but years. Not one city to another, but one city to another city to another city to another city. After all of this, he ends with this final paragraph saying, there's the Apostle Paul waiting under house arrest for his audience with Caesar. The implication, he's allowed to have visitors come and see him. And that's the end of the book. And we have so many questions. Wait a minute. Doesn't he know what happens next? Surely he knows. Is this when Paul dies? Does Paul stand before Caesar the way he has stood before other religious leaders and other Roman leaders and has his audience and has the chance to tell him the story of Jesus? One tradition says that Paul is under house arrest for two years and then the, the time limit for the audience runs out and so he is set free and it's another time that he comes back and loses his life. There's another tradition that says this is the time when he does finally get his audience with Caesar and it does not go well from him and it ends up with his execution. And we are not sure. One of the things we can say is that Luke wanted to end it here for a reason. In some ways, it reminds me of the parables of Jesus. You know, the parables of Jesus where Jesus will tell the story about a father who had two sons, and one, the youngest son, wanted his inheritance now, and he goes off and he wastes it, and he finds out he has nothing left, and his life is miserable. And if I can just go home, if I can just be a slave, if I can just be a servant when I go home, that's better than what I have now. And the oldest son is faithful, and he goes out and he works in the fields every day. And when the youngest son comes home, the father sees him, and he runs, and he greets him, and he throws a party, and and the parable ends with the younger son experiencing incredible grace, dancing inside. And when the parable ends, the father and the older son are standing outside in the dark, and the father's doing his best to convince the oldest son to come in and dance. And it's just kind of left open-ended. You think about it, and you wonder about it, and you start to ask questions, am I the older son, am I the younger son? Maybe Luke has something like that in mind when he ends it. Here's what we know from the book of Acts. The book of Acts teaches us what it means to say that the crucified and risen Jesus is now the world's rightful Lord. That's clear. That's clear that in the face of a government official who says, I am Lord, in the face of a society that's saying, Jesus, uh, that's saying Caesar, Caesar is Lord, there's this group of people in this movement that's slowly growing in the very wake of the Roman Empire saying, wait a minute, something else is now happening in the world where God has not given up. And it is a different way of living in a different way of viewing life. And in addition to that, the book of Acts teaches us how a new power, the breath of God's Spirit, is unleashed through Jesus' followers to transform human lives and communities. And when the Gospel, when the gospel of Luke ends and then transitions into the book of Acts, and these people are sent out on this commission, now we get to the end of the book of Acts, and they're still sent out. 
And we are still sent out. And I think part of what Luke is doing is asking the first century believers, what is now happening in your life? I am not called to be the Apostle Paul. I am called to be Wade Bibb. And what is God wanting to do in and through me? And you are not called to be the Apostle Paul, and you certainly aren't called to be me, but who has God called you to be? And what is God's breath, God's Spirit now empowering you to do? And what happens when I really believe, wait a minute, if Jesus is the rightful Lord of all creation, that changes how I live. It changes how I respond to people I love. It changes how I respond to people that I consider to be my enemies. It changes how I respond to people who are nice to me. It changes how I respond to people who are not. It changes how I respond to resources that are available to me and that are at my disposal. It changes how I spend today. It, well, that's for me. And the plan that God lays out as these communities are established in city after city after city, and Paul arrives in Rome to find out the gospel is already there. He doesn't bring it. It's already there. City after city after city. Communities that embrace. Wait a minute. Life doesn't have to be the way it's always been. Relationships don't have to be the way they've always been. My future doesn't have to be the way I thought it was going to have to happen. My family doesn't have to be the way it's always been. My work doesn't. You see the idea of God transforming human lives and communities through God's Spirit moving through you this week. We know that for those who are loving God, all things will work for good. Let's pray. And so, Lord, we lean into that promise and that faith statement this day that you know exactly where we are. Would you help us to be in a day-tight compartment for just a moment? taking some pain and guilt from the past, would your grace wash over us and let us forget it and leave it in the past? Fears and worries about the future, will you help us to trust you and your love? And for the moment, just be. Just be in you and with you. Will you hear the fears and the joys the love and the hopes of these, your people. And may your will be done. In Christ's name. We had three wonderful students this morning go through this wonderful, wonderful old ritual where we take them down into the water. I wish you could all be back there as you hear them. Wow, I didn't know the water was going to be so warm. Wow, there's a lot of people out there. Uh, can I do a cannonball? No. <laughs> but we also want you to experience the joy of
of being part of community. The joy of knowing that you are loved by God. The joy of knowing God loves you right now, exactly where you are. If we can help you with that walk, if we can introduce to you what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, please find us. Come down during the invitation. Uh, find one of us after church. We don't want you to miss out. Will you stand as we express our gratitude?